I feel like I ought to tell you how this sermon came about. And uh, I'll tell you the reason why in just a second. You see, I I did this sermon back when I was incarcerated. I had um, back surgery on July the 25th. And uh, they wouldn't let me leave the house. They let me go out in the yard about 20, 30 minutes a day. So, I mean, where else can you go that you you must stay in a house and they let you out about 30 minutes a day? It's incarceration is what it is. So I had a lot of time. I had a lot of time to think. Now, the reason I know that when it was done is because the, if you, uh, on your sermon notes, you'll see that it's kind of the zip codes on those, on those uh, references. They're kind of wonky. Uh, and the reason is, is because I had to buy a different uh, Bible program. And I had to buy a different Bible program because uh, the Bible program that I've been using for a whole lot of years uh, was sold to Lifeway, which is a Baptist deal. And, and, and Lifeway promptly killed it within about three years so that I had to get a different program and I couldn't take it to my house and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, honestly, folks, if, if Baptists would preach for gambling instead of against it, they could kill it in three years. You know, so I'm just letting you know. This is the way they killed my Bible program. But I had a lot of time to think is what I'm trying to say. I had a lot of time to think. And, and, I, and I thought about this because I knew that, you know, that, that the theme today was going to be on love. And, I, and my question was, is that in reality, is love that hard to find out? I mean, you, you've gone to the movies and always somebody at the movies said, I don't know if I'm in love with her yet or not. I'm going, you know, what is that? Do people think it's like a light switch? I'm in love. I'm not. I'm in love. I don't know. And I, and I thought, you know, and, and the other thing was, is I, I said, we're doing this on love. But did Joseph really love Mary? I mean, it looked to me, it's kind of an arranged looking thing, you know. And I said, does Joseph really love Mary? So I decided I would go to the scriptures and I'd say, let's see what the scriptures say. And see if, what it, if it'll indicate whether or not Joseph actually loved Mary. I mean, we want to say that, but did he? And so let me start. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, there is no evidence that we have that Joseph talked to Mary to find this out. We assume that Mary said, there's this thing I need to tell you, you know. And, but somehow he knows about it. And I got to be honest with you. If, if anybody ever told you this, wouldn't you think that was incredibly outlandish? I mean, what a story. I'm going to have a baby and it's by the Holy Spirit. I mean, come on there. But that's just not the way babies are born. And everybody knows that. So it says here that Joseph is a just man. Now, a lot of people think that justice means no mercy. You see, in other words, what I'm trying to say is, is that if you're a just person, then you absolutely do what's just all the time. And you never deal with mercy. If that is the case, then God does not understand justice. Do you understand? Because godly justice contains godly mercy. Justice without mercy is cruel. And mercy without justice is chaos. You know, it's interesting. I actually wrote this down and then I said, I wonder if anybody else said that. And then I got on the internet. Got a good quote here. Mercy without justice is the mother of dissolution. Justice without mercy is cruelty. That comes from Thomas Aquinas. I said, I'm in good care. I'm in good place. 
I'm in a good place here. But see, there is no mercy in exclusive mercy. The bully is allowed to reign for he has no one to stop him. The lazy never work and depend on others to work for them. The borrower never pays the bills and it's the lender who's the one who ends up in the poorhouse. See, but if there is no, there is no justice, is an absolute justice either. There is no justice, an absolute justice. The hungry will never get fed. The failing will never be forgiven. And absolute justice results in complete condemnation. You understand that? I realize that people think that we Christians are judgmental. They think we're judgmental. But let me show you what the world actually does. From Vox.com, written by a guy named Aja Romano. In the public sphere, he says, We're constantly being asked to weigh in on the question of forgiveness as a cultural process. The consensus thus far has largely been that American culture has no room for the concept. In a tweet from March 2021, Atlantic writer Elizabeth Brunig wrote, As a society, we have absolutely no coherent study, story, rather, none whatsoever about how a person who's done wrong can atone, make amends, and retain some continuity between their life before and after the mistake. And what is happening to our society is because we are realizing, well, how can I condemn that person because I'm the person, I've done some bad things too. We're becoming more and more permissive because we don't want to put anybody in a position, or at least don't put ourselves in a position, where we're going to get this condemnation because we don't know <clears throat> where we're going to go to get forgiveness. So what happens here is, is that Joseph struggled with what to do. This is often what happens when you have godly justice. It says that Joseph was unwilling to put Mary to shame. Now, I got this a little bit out of kilter here in this next one here. But the word for unwilling, actually it's the word willing, but it has the negative on front. It means not willing. The word for unwilling means a purpose or determination or decree, the execution of which is or is believed to be in the power of the one who wills. And really, what you, this is saying in a, in a, in a long way, it's saying a little, in a, you have a goal that you can set in mind. And you look at all of the things that you can do. And you have a goal that you set in mind. And it says that Joseph resolved to divorce Mary quietly. This is the next thing. Joseph resolved to divorce Mary quietly. And the word for resolve means wish, inclination, or disposition. See, the first one you realize is a goal. This is the goal of the things that I can do that are all there. It's the word in the, in the Greek, it's the word teleos. Teleos is where we get teleology. If you're into philosophy, you understand that means having a purpose. Everything has a purpose. There is this idea that you can determine what your purpose is and then work toward that purpose. You see, if you look at that first word, that would be, this is what, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And then... What our second word here, it means this is how I'm going to accomplish this. I'm unwilling to put her to shame, but this is how I'm going to accomplish it. I'm going to, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, this, there is often in our lives three decisions that we need to make. And the first one is, what can we do? And you look out there and you say, this is what I can do. And then we come along with this, what should I do? There's a, there's a part where we say, this is what I should do. 
But that's not the final decision. You see, there's always an opening there before another decision. And the third decision we have to make is, what must I do? What must I do? And so Joseph could have made a public spectacle of Mary. But what he decided was he would divorce her without making Mary a public spectacle because he was a kind man. This is a situation with Joseph. But that's not all he was. Joseph was a patient man too. He's a patient man. Let me prove this to you. Starting in uh, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the dream, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. See, Joseph is still considering what to do. You realize what he's, he's already, he knew what he, can, he could do. He knew what he should do, but he's still considering this. He's trying to figure out what must I do in this. And so what he's come to the spot where he's still open to the Lord's leading. Now, we have no record that says that Joseph was praying about this. I mean, we don't, you know. But I can tell you that he was still open to whatever the Lord was wanting him to do in this. And many times, I'll say this to you folks. We're not required to go pray to God to get him to give us an answer. But if we seek him, I am sure that we will find him. So the Lord sends a message to Joseph that will make him look foolish. Now, that's not what you want to hear. It's a message that's going to make him look foolish. Uh, Many may think that, you you know, I'm just telling you how foolish this looks. Some people will say, that's really his child. And he's trying to, they're trying to push this off as the Holy Spirit. Oh, come on. He will look foolish in that process as well. Or maybe the people will say, that child belongs to somebody else and he's believing her story? What a fool. What a fool. There was a second century Greek philosopher named Celsus who stated that Jesus' father was actually a Roman soldier. He said that um, Joseph did uh, divorce her. You know, and people started believing that sort of thing. You know why people believe that? Because they want to. Anybody who wants to hate Jesus can believe whatever story they want to believe and not believe the scriptures themselves. Now, that's not too outlandish a story to have believed in that day. But it wasn't the story. It wasn't the story that could have easily been been, uh, disproven in the time that they were there. Now, I'm going to mess up, and you know I do this every week. I mess up your nativity scenes. I'm not sorry, but, you know, here's the story. I mean, I just have to give it to you. The Romans did not require a person to come to their hometown in order to get, uh, to have a census. You understand that? There's no record of that. With one exception. And that exception is, is that if you had property that you owned. Now, if Joseph was from Nazareth, how did he get that property that he owned? It probably was a family, a bit of property that had been passed down to him. 
Now, I think that a lot of people think that Joseph was not the brightest guy on the planet because he would take a nine-month pregnant woman over about 90 miles. And if you've ever been there before, it's the most rocky, you know, uh, scene you'll ever see uh, with a donkey uh, to make it down to Bethlehem. And he'll, he'll take the interstate and exit at Bethlehem and get there. You know, that's not really what happens. I, I mean, in my own heart, what I believe is, is that there were a lot of wagging tongues in Nazareth. I think they probably took her out of there, maybe in the sixth month or whatever month that it was. Because you see, the census was being taken, and the ta- and census didn't, they weren't like it was a one-day thing. You know, they took years in order for them to take so, to take a census. So there was an ordered census, and, and he goes down, and he goes to the um, this place called Bethlehem. Now, if he is from there, do you think he might have had some relatives that lived there? And what do we normally do when we go into a town, when we've got relatives in, we stay with our relatives. But here's the problem. Everybody else is coming in for that census. They're going to come and stay with those relatives too, aren't they? And so you've got a crowd there. And the word that has been translated for forever as in is the word kataluma. Kataluma means spare room. Understand that's what it means. It's not the word pandexio. It's the word that means in. It it was not a caravanserium. Caravanserium. That's where caravans would stop. And and it wasn't a public place. So this is the thing. Now imagine here comes the time has come for the baby to be there. There's been all these people. They've been having their family there for there's no telling how long. Maybe a couple of months because in that Middle Eastern culture they, they don't invite you for a day or two. I had a guy from... Jordan one time. He said, why don't you come over for my wedding? I said, well, I I mean, my wife was pregnant at the time. And I said, I don't think I should leave her. He said, you don't have to stay long, just maybe two months. I mean, there'd be no reason for me to come back to the United States after that, because there would have been. Anyway, but this is the way it was there. So Joseph didn't take her 90 miles over rough terrain on a donkey the night before, literally before, it was a four-day journey, by the way. And, and that's if you were with a normal journey. I mean, you take a pregnant woman, you've got to stop at every rest stop, you know. And so the thing is, is that he didn't do that. And so he comes into this town. It is very humbling, though, for Joseph in this whole process. This is a humbling thing. I mean, this is not his child, and he knows it. This is a story that he believes because the angel appeared to him. But I'm telling you what, it's really, I'm going to tell you, the Lord can tell you something and tell you something and tell you something. But when you get around a lot of other people are saying, oh, really? You start to wondering yourself. See, God is in that humbling business because it's through humbling that God gives grace. Let me tell you a story of another Joseph. He's in the Old Testament. Now, I wrote a blog on this sometime back, and this guy said, you know, he wasn't this way. You know, I'm going, uh, let me give you some evidence here. Joseph is 17 years of age, this Old Testament Joseph. He has a vision from God that his brothers are all going to bow down to him someday, and even his father and his mother, they're all going to bow down to him someday. And out of what I believe is his arrogance, he tells his brothers, he imagined, he, I imagine he told them more than once because they finally get so angry with him, they want to kill him. You understand? That's pretty arrogant and pretty angry on the other side. 
And so what they do, they throw him in a pit, they can't figure out what to do, and eventually one of them decides, why don't we sell him? And so they sell him, and he's taken off to Egypt. Okay, he rises to the top in Potiphar's household. And finally, Potiphar's wife gets the eye after him and starts chasing him around the room. And you know, a lot of people don't get it the way I get it. But he stopped long enough to tell, tell Potiphar's wife how righteous he was. Does that sound a little arrogant? I'm so righteous, I haven't touched you. Isn't that great? You know, he hung around long enough to lose his coat. Lost his coat the first time. I wouldn't wear a coat if I were him after that. You know, but the thing about it is, is that he goes to prison. Now he's in prison. Okay, he's in there for, we don't know exactly how long, but he's in prison. And, and he interprets a couple of dreams for some of the inmates that are there. One of the inmates is executed. The other inmate becomes the butler to the, uh, to the uh, pharaoh or was the butler to the pharaoh. And Pharaoh has a dream and, and nobody can interpret it. And Joseph has been largely forgotten in this, this prison. And so what happens is, is that the, you know, the, the butler says to Pharaoh, I know a guy who interprets dreams. I met him in prison. And so they cleaned Joseph up and they said, you know, Joseph can interpret this dream. And so the Pharaoh brings him in. And says, I understand you can tell me what my dream is all about. This is what Genesis 41.16 records. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Does that sound like arrogance? No. No, there's no arrogance there at all. He says, not me. It's simply not me. Now, he's 17 when he revealed to his family that they were going to all bow down to him. He is 30 years of age when Pharaoh puts him second in command. That is 13 years in anybody's math book. He realized he's waited 13 years. 13 years it took to get the arrogance out of him, to get the pride out of him. You know, the scripture says that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He needed to be humbled. But that's not all. It's another 9 to 11 years, 22 to 24 years after he's had this vision, that the, the dream comes true, the vision comes true. His brothers and his dad and his family bow down to him. So what was the blessing for Joseph for having to be humbled like this? Joseph, Mary's husband, he would be the earthly father to the savior of the world. No one in all of creation other than Joseph can say that. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. And how did it come about? Joseph didn't insist on his own way. See, knowing God's will doesn't mean that everything comes up roses. Oh, come on, folks. If you believe that, you don't understand it. Actually, doing God's will doesn't mean everything comes up roses. You see, there will be hardships. There will be ridicule. And he may have still been considered a fool through all of this. I suppose Noah could probably agree with him on that. See, Noah is told to build this this incredibly big boat. It takes 100 years to do it. It has no rudder. It has no propulsion system. And he's got no way to get it to the water. And there are people all around 
living it up in their wickedness. And you can imagine the stories they're telling about Noah. (laughs) That old crazy old man building that big, big boat. That is amazing. Oh, come on. Look at that. And they're laughing at Noah. You see, there's a pull on us. There's a pull on us when we do what is right, when everybody else seems to have it better than us. Everybody else seems to be doing better than us. And so what we do is we cry out to God for justice. And there will be justice. But right now there's mercy. There is mercy on them. And the pull is to give up or to give in and be just like the world. And and, and just, you know what, get resentful for all of the things that God has told us to do. And we didn't get our way. But we have no story of Joseph being resentful. We have no story of that. He obeyed. Now, as we live in a world of feelings rather than doing what the Lord tells us to do, you understand where that resentment comes from. It is in that lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life in which a resentment will dwell in our lives. And it is easy to be resentful. In fact, it is more easy to be resentful. So so Joseph took Mary as his wife, and he provided for his family. But... Did I answer the question, did he love her? Did he love her? Let's see if we can understand that through some other scripture here. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, Joseph understood something, and I think we all need to understand. Love is not just a feeling. Love is something that we do. Did Joseph do these things of love for Mary? For love is lived out. And I have this conclusion, folks. My conclusion is simply this. Joseph loved Mary. The proof is in the definition. Let's pray.